0: right. It's that time of the week that you fast forward the podcast to to get to House Majority Leader Alec Garnett giving us all the inside information from the Capitol. This week I'm doing it from out of the office. We're all in separate locations. We're coronavirus prepared. So let's see if this works.
1: Happy to be on. Uh, thank you guys. I am really enjoying these. I'm hearing from a lot of people who are enjoying these conversations. So I think anything we can do to kind of break down the the walls um, and, you know, increase the lines of communication about what's happening is good. And I think this is working. So I'm, I'm honored to be on again. All right.
0: Well, let's start with coronavirus. Do you have any better sense for what might tip the scales toward a decision about shutting down the legislature?
1: Yeah. So I, to- I think we talked about last week how my grocery cart, which it, can I just say for the record, it actually wasn't my grocery cart. It was actually Emily's grocery cart. And she listened to the podcast and was like, I can't believe you just like took credit for my hour and a half shopping when you actually were just watching the kids. So for the record, <laughs> Emily, I'm sorry, it was your shopping cart. And I'm not exactly sure why I said that last week, but I've been like, I think probably one of the most concerned people, um, about this spread of COVID-19 and, and or coronavirus. So I've been watching it closely. I have been following all the international news closely. I've been watching what other states have been doing. I've been working with the governor's office and I think where we're at now is we have a hotspot up in Peking County around Aspen. The governor declared a state of emergency um, yesterday and because it's a state of emergency around a pandemic, it actually changes the rules that govern the joint rules that govern the two chambers. And there is this Joint Rule 44 that has never been used before, that was created in 2009 to address this specific issue, which is a state of emergency, not for like a bomb, cyclone, snowstorm, but for a pandemic. And because of that, there are different rules that will apply to the legislature. One of them is around this question of, if you go into recess, uh, does that stop the 120-day clock? And if so, how does it stop it? So the Constitution, I think, is silent to the fact that the legislature has to meet in 120 day continuous calendar. It says 120 days, but it doesn't say continuous.
0: It's that consecutive part,
1: right? Yeah, but it's a consecutive part. Our rules and like joint rule 23 that goes back to 1983 is the one that says consecutive joint or joint rule 44 that is put into place when there's a state of emergency because of a pandemic suspends that rule around continuous. And so there is this idea that you could go into recess, And then once the pandemic and the risk had cleared, come back and start, everything is sort of suspended in air, where it may be, bills, the days, and then you would come back and just pick up where you left off. I think we just got to make sure that that is the right legal interpretation. Uh, But if that's the case, then it comes down to when do you break for recess. And I think health of the public and health of our members and staff is at utmost priority. And we have to figure out when we want to thread that needle. And I think it's all about continuing to do the the people's work, while at the same time, taking a break before the risk is too high. And I think there's sort of two things that could trigger us going into a recess. One could be somebody is deemed to have been tested positive for the coronavirus and has been in the building, testifying on a bill, a staff member has been in the Capitol and we can verify that. So that's the first thing. And I think that would move us towards recess pretty quickly. The second thing would be if the health experts on the medical emergency team who are working underneath the governor the chief medical officer uh, people at CDPHE would call and say listen there's a hot spot here and like the risk is pretty high that somebody is going to come into the building with it therefore you should suspend and so that's what we are in constant communication with the, with the governor's team about. We've been meeting with the executive committee, which is members of both parties in leadership. And so I feel like communication lines are, are pretty open. I think we're trying to figure out, you know, there's like three bills that we would have to pass no matter what. You have to pass a budget constitutionally. We have to balance a budget. We have to p- pass the school finance act, which determines how much money we put into the formula that's distributed to all 178 school districts. And then there's a rule review bill um, that would have to pass, which actually passed the House today. So it's heading over to the Senate. And then there is, um, I guess there's four bills, the legislative branch budget, which we keep separate from the full budget as a way to prevent the first floor and the governor uh, from holding the budget hostage to negotiate with us when it has like our pay and our staff's pay in it. This has been a separation of powers, things that we've had for a long time. And we just sent the legislative branch budget to the Senate this week as well. So we have moved some of the critical legislation already. And then obviously the budget is Uh, forthcoming with a economic forecast next Tuesday. So we're kind of looking at where we are with all of these bills that we must pass and trying to figure out when exactly uh, we would take a break. If nothing else,
0: couldn't governor polis later on just declare a special session to, to finish this?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, um, I mean, I think the only challenge there, um, I I love governor polis, uh, but the, the governor sets the agenda for oh, right. um, the special session. And so in a way, we're kind of like yielding a little bit of authority to the executive branch there. But listen, we're all working together in what is, you know, the WHO has deemed a worldwide global pandemic. So, you know, we're taking this all very seriously. And I think we're, we're trying to uh, make the best decisions we can with the information that we have.
0: The silver lining of, of some of this coronavirus stuff, maybe I was thinking about on the family leave issue. Do you think coronavirus helps push that issue forward a little more than it might have?
1: Man, wouldn't it have been awesome had we passed family medical leave like three or four years ago? Yeah. And we'd like just be in a situation where everyone was covered. So, yeah, I think it does. I think that it helps. I mean, I think the governor has been trying to lead on that issue, which makes sense in terms of, you know, it's one thing that I brought up with the governor in one of our first briefings was hourly employees who depend on going to work to pay for their rent and their mortgage and their, uh, to put food on the table. They're not going to stay home if they have coronavirus because, you know, the priorities they can. that yes. yeah, they can't. And so trying to make sure we're putting them first in these discussions about emergency operations is critical paid family medical leave would have, would solve all of this. So it does help that narrative though. Once that bill's introduced, which I think would, you know, I don't know exactly when that's going to be uh, maybe next week, but the point is it's going to help that narrative though. I hope we don't need a pandemic in order to do what's right.
0: <laughs> that's the truth. Well, do you think it plays any role in, in the Colorado option discussion?
1: I think so. I mean, Craig uh, Hughes uh, was online tweeting today about it looked like the Colorado Hospital Association was using the stress on hospitals as a reason not to pass public option. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, which doesn't make a ton of sense because the bill doesn't, if the bill were signed into law today, it doesn't go into effect for like two years. (laughs) So do I think that it's going to be used either in committee, it's in committee as we speak, Uh, either in committee during testimony or on the floor, yeah, I I think probably it will. Do I think it should? No, I don't think it has anything to do with it. But I do think, you know, I've been on the phone with presidents of hospital systems today, because what we want to make sure that we're doing is we're being very responsive to real World pressures that they're feeling uh, because of um increased capacity on on hospitals, and Good. so trying to look at ways to be more flexible with sharing that between hospital systems, figuring out ways to prioritize the testing of healthcare professionals who may have been exposed um because there's rules about when if you've been exposed, you have to get a test back or you're like you you can't come to work so making sure we prioritize those things are things that I think are very real. We're trying to make sure we have open lines of communication so that if there are things that we need to do legislatively um, that we can start working on those now before uh, we go into recess.
0: What are your early impressions on what you've seen as far as the hospital association and others in their opposition strategy to the Colorado option?
1: They spent a lot of money um, on uh, TV and on mail. We've talked about that. I, I mean, I
0: guess I mean to say more like in the, since the bill has been getting ready to be introduced, yeah. and has that shifted yeah, yeah, yeah. their strategy? Yeah,
1: it has. All of a sudden, it's like, we agree there is a problem in our healthcare industry. We agree prices are too high. We agree that we need to find a solution. It can't just be on the backs of hospitals. And the discussions. That have been happening around tables for the last three or four years have included everybody from the industry the pharmaceutical side the doctor side the hospital side the insurance side and everybody points a finger at everybody else and my frustration is if it's not public option we have been saying i have been saying for months for months since the report came out in the fall, I've been saying, if it's not public option, I just want to make sure that we are reducing health care costs for the constituents in my district and in in everyone else's districts. I can't believe in this late hour, like now is when you're coming to say, whoa, 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 this isn't the solution. We need to find another one. And so in a way, I have just seen uh, this, this conversation it, it is hard at this point to say, let's put that bill on pause and let's open up another conversation. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not trying to do that. But it's a little disingenuous. This, this, this process is all about timing. I have a lot of respect for Representative Kennedy and Rep- Representative Roberts who have put in hours of work on uh, the legislation that's in committee now. In and in a, in a way, it's like it's hard to put them in a situation now where it's like, wait a minute, just set out all those hours uh, off to the side and and let's go back to the drawing table. But you know, it's, it has happened before. um, But that's sort of where the strategy is now. Let
0: me ask you about a couple of gun bills that have gotten some attention. Uh, Both of them are, uh, well, they're, they're somewhat similar. One of them would secure storage for firearms. One would deal with reporting loss or theft of firearm within 24 hours. Surveys show that these have, pretty strong public support. Any reason to think these aren't going to make it through?
1: No. I mean, I think, I mean, I tip my hat to, I mean, I always tip my hat to Representative Sullivan. He's one of my best friends in the legislature. I tip my hat to, you know, um, Kyle Molka and Monica Duran and uh, Sonia Jaquez-Lewis for all of their work in the interim stakeholding with law enforcement and with a lot of other groups to uh, move forward on this legislation Uh, last week. I think it was introduced on Friday. These are really, really common sense bills that are all about responsible gun ownership. I think we can all agree we want to reduce gun violence. We want to reduce uh, gun deaths across Colorado. We have a suicide epidemic in Colorado, especially with our teen population. And when it comes to safe storage, that's a really important piece of it and making sure that there's mechanisms for people to lock up their guns, making sure that we're educating the public on why safe storage is important. There have been very successful education campaigns in this state, whether or not it was around methamphetamines around 2010 and 11, or whether it was around, you know, how to consume edible marijuana. Um, Ever since uh, Maureen Dowd put that op-ed in the uh, New York Times where she came to Denver and didn't consume (laughs) marijuana. Edible's right. right. We have done a great job of educating the public on why to do things. And that is the number one thing that can change behavior. And that's what uh, sort of safe store, the safe storage bill is prioritizing. And on the loss and stolen piece, there are a lot of uh, firearms that are stolen from cars at, you know, RTD uh, bus stops that are, you know, in long-term parking can be stolen from homes and just making sure that law enforcement's aware that those uh, firearms have been stolen is a way to help get. Illegal guns off the streets. It's a way to protect our communities. We're not taught. I mean, these don't carry the same weight as red flag in particular uh, or other things that we've done in the past, but they are common sense. And the public wants us to continue to do these things. And so I'm, I'm confident that the sponsors are going to get these across the finish line. And I'm just It shows a a level of legislating uh, for them to identify some things that other states, red states have done across the country that we should be doing here.
0: What is the argument against them? I've I've seen Republicans kind of dance around some things. but
1: I think one of the arguments was if your gun is safely stored in another room or even if there's an an exception to a firearm being – you know, next to you while you're sleeping. I think one of the arguments I've seen pop up is like you're criminalizing going to the bathroom and not being in the same room. With I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I mean, for the most yeah. part, for the most part, these these bills have been presented in a way that are very common sense. That blue, red, and purple states have moved on across the country, and that the public thinks we should be doing here. And it's, you know, I'm not exactly sure what's, you know, the level of opposition that is going to come. I never really understand where RMGO, what angles they come from. But um, uh, I think for the most part, the people of Colorado think this is um, very common sense. What else
0: should we be watching for? What else are you watching for uh, this week and next week?
1: You know, one of the big issues that's starting to stress me out a lot actually is the two-party process for getting candidates onto the ballot, it, there are two paths for statehouse, state senate, and statewide and congressional elected and candidates to get onto the primary ballot in June. One of them is by collecting petition signatures, and the other one is going through the caucus and assembly process. There is obviously a higher risk of public spread Community spread of COVID 19 in rooms with a lot of people. And there is going to be a very fast paced assembly calendar coming up that is going to have a lot of people who are the most highly at risk population in the same room together. And so we are working in a bipartisan way with our Democratic attorney and with the Republican attorney and with the county clerks to figure out a way to possibly, in sort of an emergency setting, uh, allowing the parties to redraft rules in even years. There's actually a statute that says you can't amend the rules of the parties until an odd year, so 2021.
0: Right, which makes sense when there's not an emergency, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so what we're trying to do is just think through if there's anything we need to do legislatively to make sure that our election season primary season that we're in the middle of uh goes off without putting people at risk
0: well that's uh one heck of a schedule you got there you got you got a lot on your plate uh i can't (laughs) let you go though without asking you about dogs on patios man
1: oh man dude dogs on patios patios.
0: i didn't realize you couldn't have dogs on patios i thought it was like a requirement in colorado everywhere i go i know people have dogs on on patios wait what's the deal with this bill (laughs)
1: I tip my hat to Senator Donovan. Uh, I'm just her house sponsor. Senate Bill 78 has gotten a lot of attention from the media and uh, from others. What it essentially says is if the business owner, so we're going to start at the smallest unit and go out, if the business owner agrees and the municipality agrees to allow dogs on patios, then what the state is saying is that is allowed. Essentially what happened is there have been some examples of county attorneys across the state saying even if the local government agrees and even if the business owner agrees, we don't think that you're allowed to have dogs on patios. And so in that rare instance, because we're the state and we would, you know, oversee the 64 counties, we would say, just to clarify, if all of these factors are met, dogs can be on patios. And that just, you know, we're not taking away any local control in the sense of forcing it on business owners or, you know, forcing it upon municipalities. We're just saying that in that very rare instance that the county attorney is unclear, uh, we're going to make sure that we are crystal clear on the state level. But it has turned into a bill that is gotten a lot of attention. We ran an amendment. So we ran it on second reading. We had it up on third reading. Then a member came up and said, I want to run an amendment to add all of the names of like every legislator's dog to the (laughs) legislative (laughs) declaration. So instead of me amending it on third, Uh, listen, dude, we all want to, we all think we're pretty important and we want our dogs to be (laughs) memorialized in state statute forever. So Cleopatra, my little bulldog, she, her name was on the amendment, uh-huh. but we didn't want to do it on third reading because we didn't want to like violate house rules. So I sent it back to second reading. So we draft this amendment. We had all of the legislators' dogs' names on it. Then staff from the Colorado Channel calls uh, Katie in my office and says, we want to add all our dogs' names oh to it. Oh, my gosh. So then, so then we add all their dogs' names to it. So then our staff, our partisan staff are like, we want our dogs' name to it. So actually, while we're running the bill on second reading this morning, we move the amendment with all these dogs included and all these other staff come down and other members saying my dog's not included. So then representative Humphrey, who is a Republican and I am friends with, he's my friend, but we almost never agree on policy, gets a substitute amendment drafted with all of the new dogs names added to it uh, and runs that. And uh, it got passed and it is going to be something that, you know, maybe is my legacy.
0: Well, but the problem – I not really problem I have, but what if I have like a a pet kangaroo? Can I – does that work yeah.
1: too? Yeah, a good or point. It came up me? in debate. Yeah, it came up, up. – what else came up on debate was kitties on leashes, potbelly pigs, birds, you know, all these other things. There are two things that govern how we legislate down here at the Capitol. One is single subject, and two is the title of the bill. So if the title of the bill would have said – pets on patios it would have included snakes bow constrictors rats <laughs> uh, chinchillas uh, but because it said dogs i could not amend i couldn't amend in these other pets because the title said dogs and by doing that you can't amend the title but you can't expand the title so you can't go from dogs to pets you could go from pets to dogs cats and chinchillas but because it started out as dogs, it was just dogs, and it broke the heart of many. So my
0: kangaroo has to wait for next year.
1: Yeah, your kangaroo can either run a bill for just kangaroos on patios, <laughs> or it can, it can, we can run a bill for pets on patios, which would include a definition of pet, which we would, you would have to make sure kangaroo was there. Of course, and the smartass in me is thinking, well, what if I named my kangaroo dogs? Just the proper name of my pet? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think changing the name of your pet to the species of animal included in the title would allow you to qualify. Well, we'll see what the courts have to say about that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You can, and you know what? I, I, there's a petition clause. So if you're so offended that your kangaroo (laughs) named dog isn't included, you can go (laughs) collect enough petitions to go and get it removed through the (laughs) initiative process on the ballot.
0: You gotta right. have a sense of humor to do this job. You really do. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how you'd get through it otherwise. I
1: don't, uh yeah. A, a, yeah. anything
0: else we need to be looking out for?
1: No, I think uh, we covered it. Let's. We'll keep our eye out on COVID nineteen. And uh, rest assured, we're we're watching it closely, and we're doing everything we can to keep everyone safe. And um, we will touch base next week. Right. Thanks very much. All right. See you guys.